For years, I've tried to make sense of this whole creativity thing as an idea. When you do that, you tend to encounter this weird duality in how people understand creativity and teach it. The things you learn can mostly be grouped onto either end of a spectrum, slide all the way to the right, and creativity can be understood in all these really big terms. All the way to the left, and it feels grounded, almost gritty. On the right side, where creativity feels big, we use words like innovative or legendary to describe a creator. If you listen back to the last few episodes of this show, you'll hear me mention names like Ira Glass and Anthony Bourdain. If you explore the podcast charts, you'll see plenty of interview shows with huge names talking about how they got to be huge. I even think about the popular saying that these interviews offer us 30,000 foot advice. It implies that we're stuck on the ground looking up at these legends, but it's tough to see the actual truth from that distance. So we need to zoom in. It can't just be about massive success stories or lofty but inspiring views on creativity because we also have to do the work today. And if creativity is really about the muse or the gift, what if the muse doesn't visit today? What if we didn't get this precious gift when we were born? On the other end of the spectrum, all the way to the left, creativity is about the minutia. Creating things isn't grand, it's a grind. So we learn the techniques, we buy the gear, and we proudly work on mastering the craft. On our toughest days, the work feels like a slog, like we're blacksmiths hammering away at hot steel. But on good days, when we love the craft, we feel pride in that work, and we feel confident that we can slap down a messy lump of wet clay and begin to shape it into something great. We can stop trying to be brilliant or legendary and just practice, tinker, improve. We can lose ourselves in the very practical sounding daily work. Things on this side of the spectrum feel a lot more tangible, but maybe they start to lack a little shine. We come down from the clouds and anchor the work in the dirt. I've seen creators struggle with both sides of the spectrum. For example, some marketing friends of mine really value the daily grind of it all, and they ship a ton of stuff, but it's kind of hollow. They obsess over best practices and basic blueprints, often at the expense of their own creative vision and originality. And daydreaming? No, that's not practical enough. So there's no soul to their work. On the other hand, I've had a ton of very soulful discussions with friends who are writers, designers, musicians, and podcasters, but they're so stuck in theory, or so precious about their ideas, that they avoid the grind. They never ship much work at all. If we get stuck thinking like those friends of mine, we get stuck in our own heads and never really turn what's in our minds into anything out in the world. Maybe we get like a nice sounding quote on a coffee mug as we stare at a blinking cursor, unable to write. Better get more coffee. On the other hand, if we treat creativity like too much of a grind, too much like swinging a hammer on some red hot metal, we might remove the joy and the art or just lower our gaze too much. The work can start to lack that special thing that we want it to have. Turns out going too far into the dirt makes it hard for anything to shine through. So is it grand or is it a grind? 
I've seen creators struggle with both interpretations. And so the only conclusion I've come to is we need both. The grand stuff needs to be grounded in the grind, but the grind has to be informed by what feels grand. It's not a spectrum, it's a circle. In my work, sure, I think podcasting is a wonderfully intimate medium, which is rather magical. But I also think that right now I'm using techniques to engineer that experience on demand. And I've spent countless hours refining the material that went into this intro. There's no conflict between the two. There's just this interconnected, virtuous cycle that emerges between the theory and the execution. Now, I'm not here to tell you where to draw your own inspiration, the big ideas, or the details of executing your craft. But I am here to suggest, or really today's story will suggest, it's not really a duality at all. It's a duet. Sorry, I'm, I'm not overly versed in music, but I'm very well versed in music puns. Get it? Versed? Do you get it? Today, a story from a musician and a podcaster whose early decisions in crafting his work seems logical and lovely today, but when he started, was sorely needed and even felt a little risky to try. At first, his show clashed with convention, and even today, it stands apart. And that's because I think it most closely captures the truth of creating meaningful things. There's magic in the minutiae. It's grand and gritty, but isn't it always? Keep, 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 keep it going. It's Unthinkable, the show about trusting yourself, not conventional thinking. I'm Jay Akunzo, and I want more creators to make what matters. So every episode, we tell stories of people who made the leap between what best practices say they have to do to what their intuition was urging them to try. We can all choose to do that too, because as you'll hear today... It's only unthinkable until you hear their side of the story. Today's story is about Rishikesh Hirway and the podcast Song Exploder. Song Exploder ended up becoming more popular than my music had ever been. I remember at some point saying something in an interview while, while I was talking to somebody and they were like, oh, I, I didn't realize you were a musician too. And me being like, yeah, that's right, because you don't know anything about me. And nor does anybody else who listens to this show, potentially, because I just say three sentences at the beginning and two sentences at the end. I realized that the thing that I made as a side project had kind of eclipsed the main project. And I was really sad about that for a very long time because it actually deepened my writer's block. In the podcast world, there's a certain collection of shows that once you have one or two in your life, you don't really need the others. They're kind of like the long-form audio equivalent of late-night TV shows. Pretty much the same with incremental differences and usually a parade of similar guests, all of whom do the circuit of these shows to promote a book or a film. The format is simple on these podcasts. Interview the most famous guests you can and talk generally about their life, their career, their success. The ads are even similar. Mass market brands like Progressive Insurance or HelloFresh and a whole slew of pills, powders, and products that are somehow connected to astrology, maybe, or, or visiting a local psychic. I don't know. I just kind of skipped those parts. Anyway, 
The existence of all these shows might be great for authors on a book tour, but it also gives off this perception to other podcasters that to be a success is to create a show like theirs, and to unlock a guest's wisdom is to ask questions like theirs. So you get a list of perceived do's and don'ts in the industry. Do publish a really long-form episode. Don't cut short the immersive experience. Do book the biggest name guests you can. Don't look for the strongest or freshest ideas. After all, the name of the guest drives your growth. You don't go from Madonna one day to an obscure singer the next. No, you want to end the Madonna interview by saying, next episode, it's Britney, bitch. I'm sorry you had to hear me say that. Do paint the full picture of their life or career from start to finish. Don't focus too narrowly on any one moment, project, story, or angle. And whatever you do, don't overexert yourself on the editing. You're not This American Life, just run a lightly edited, long-form interview. So basically, don't create Song Exploder. You're listening to Song Exploder, where musicians take apart their songs and piece by piece tell the story of how they were made. My name is Madonna Louise Ciccone. I'm John Baptiste. I'm Halsey. My name is Rick Astley. My name is Billie Eilish. Daniel Lopatin has been making experimental electronic music as one o tricks point never since 2000. Billie Eilish started releasing music when she was 14 years old. Her debut album, and she's had 50 songs reach number one on the Billboard dance chart. That's more number ones than anyone in any category ever. In today's episode, she's going to talk about the way we enter into the piece of music where you have those layers of piano and plucks, and and that's kind of like creative minds collide and end up making magic together to look back and like have gotten better and happier in life but you know it's important that i think we remember how we did feel so that we're grateful for how we feel now I'm Rishikesh Hirway. The show is an independent podcast and a member of the network Radiotopia from PRX and has been featured by The New York Times, The New Yorker, Vulture, Quartz, and The Telegraph. In 2020, Song Exploder launched a televised version of the show on Netflix, and as of February 2023, the podcast has 248 episodes, each one carefully crafted into short but inspiring stories. What podcasts really get rewarded for is having a long episode so you get more ads. And Song Exploder doesn't have mid-roll ads because I'm like, I don't want to break up the story. You know, I want the artist to be able to speak. I want to be able to get from that idea of how did you go from something, from nothing to, to a finished song in kind of one long breath. So, and also this episodes, so some, sometimes the episodes are as short as 13, 14 minutes. And the idea of breaking it up with two minutes of ads in the middle, it feels like it would be a terrible listener experience. So it's a lot of work for less return than a show where it's like, hey, let's just let me just put out the raw interview, the hour and 45 minute long conversation. And there's less work and there's probably you know, more income. Um, it's a, it's really a, a terrible idea, but, um, yeah, that's, uh, I think it's just, it's the curse of having specific aesthetic ideas. Taste. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
I couldn't yeah. imagine the show being something else. I, I really, the format of it is something that is really dear to me. And I think that especially when I started the show and I wasn't making music at the time, I wanted it to feel as considered and thought out and carefully made. And I wanted to apply those same kinds of standards to Mm. anything that I make. And so for Song Exploder to be the thing that I'm proud of, I felt like it has to be this, um, you know, I'm trying to polish together this thing as well as I can. And, And I think it's gotten better over the years i think when i go back and listen to older episodes i'm like oh i could have probably done that edit better but you know i did the best that i could with what knowledge and what skills i had when you look across the landscape of like business shows you tend to get this similar dichotomy where like or a phenomenon that you might get with musicians where the more famous someone gets or the more senior they get the more experience they get the less they're asked about doing the work and i I'm sitting there like, well, what if that incredible person who has seen all these different experiences and tried all these things and made all these, they were asked, like the junior level person being interviewed is asked to talk about the mechanics of the work. But then I go, oh, well, Rishikesh interviewed Madonna and it's Madonna. Like, of course, you're going to want the biography version. Like, who wouldn't want that? Uh, And then I go, oh, Rishikesh doesn't want that. that." (laughs) Right. She's done those kinds of interviews other places. I like the idea that that song exploder is like a very specific kind of Phillips head screwdriver or something, you know, it's a specific tool that you're going to turn to for a specific purpose. And I do think that because of that, you get specific insights that would get left out somewhere else. So how does Rishikesh actually construct his show? Well, I thought if he's going to ask his guests to break apart their work, I should ask him to do the same thing. So I brought a few clips from one of my favorite episodes of Song Exploder, and I asked him to explain how they were made. A lesser host might call this Song Exploder Exploder, but I would never. I would never. You're listening to Song Exploder Exploder, where Rishikesh takes apart his episode and piece by piece tells the story of how it was made. I'm Jay Akunzo. All right, so the following clips come from the same episode of Song Exploder featuring Adam Grandusiel. Adam is the lead singer and lead guitarist for the band The War on Drugs. And uh, Rishikesh spoke with him in his recording space in LA, where he was discussing the making of the song called I Don't Live Here Anymore. I Don't Live Here Anymore is actually the title track from the album that won the band the Grammy for the best rock album of 2018. In the clip, we hear Adam speaking to Rishikesh, and it's from the very beginning of the episode. The clip is about a minute and a half long. Here we go. We had just had our first child late July of 2019. With I Don't Live Here Anymore, it started basically as me sitting in the nursing chair in Bruce's room when he was about six weeks old. He'd just be on his little blanket. I would be in the chair just strumming an acoustic, lightly. And I was just strumming these two, these two chords that were cool. I mean, it wasn't even that exciting. It was just B flat to C in this way that had a nice little vibe to it. And he's making a bunch of sounds.
And so that night I went downstairs. Bruce had been asleep for a couple hours. And the point was to just record this little idea. You know, I just did a quick drum machine, four on the floor, 808 kick. When I sit down to the mic with my headphones on, they're really loud usually. When I'm demoing something, I work so fast. So I put one mic up and that's for the vocal and the guitar in that moment, you know, just so I can like capture whatever is happening. I go into another world. So what do you first notice? What were you thinking about when you're hearing that back? I mean, what I think about is the memory of recording that with Adam in his in his space. Like when I listen to an episode, all I hear are the problems <laughs> that, <laughs> that oh, had totally. to get solved. Yeah. And so I remember, you know, his recording space was next to this garage. It's in, in a kind of an industrial area in L.A. And it's next to an actual auto repair shop. And while we were setting up, the guys next door, like, were putting a car up you know, on, on the lift to do the repairs. So we had to wait. Um, and then he had to go and ask them to be quiet. So I remember that and trying to figure out like how to get the best recording of his voice. But I think that his voice ended up sounding good. It sounds pretty intimate despite how big the, the space was and <laughs> the car being lifted up on the hydraulic lift uh, next door. I thought that moment was so beautiful as an entry point into the dissection of the track, you know, as a father myself, I think that's a big reason why. But then you also start to hear the stems, these separated tracks that when layered make up the whole song. And I hear those playing by themselves separately. And I have this awesome feeling because I do listen to the war on drugs. And the feeling is like, at once, this is familiar yet new at the same time. And I just wonder what it's like for you because it really lights me up. But what is it like for you when an artist sends you those files and you start to listen to them for the first time? Oh, it's so exciting. I especially love like that, you know, that clip of the voice memo with just uh, with his baby in the background. And um, that was real. That was not performed by you or, or, or edited by you. That was actually his, his actual voice memo recording. Wow. I don't do any kind of like recreations or anything like that. So it's always a huge bonus when an artist has documented these moments when they actually came up with an idea because you can talk about it. Everything in Song Exploder, of course, is past tense and it's so nice to have some kind of primary evidence of the present tense because then it can illustrate the story and make it so much richer so that's the actual moment that he's describing as he's playing that guitar and his baby is making those noises as he said he's just sort of looping these two chords so i'm doing some editing behind the scenes so that when he says and then bruce made some sounds and then you hear bruce make those sounds for the first time to have that timing work out but uh but it is that's his actual voice memo. One of the more admirable, unusual, maybe difficult things that goes into making your show, which is not something that the typical interview show would do, is you aren't injecting yourself. You don't hear your questions to the guest. You don't hear your voice as a narrator. You're relying solely on the words spoken by your subjects to carry the action of the story, to tell the story well, and of course answer your questions well, even though we don't hear your questions in the final cut. Um, and I can just appreciate, I, I just think that's magical. I just think when you can remove your voice, maybe because I don't do that on the show, you know, I personally think that maybe my, my best episodes involve less me, but when you can remove your own voice and let your subjects carry the story entirely, like, 
again, magic. And, and I can appreciate the craft that goes into that. And so in this next clip, I think it really showcases that element of the show. And I just want you, the listener, you listening, I want you to pay careful attention to the fact that the story is carried forward where you're not hearing any voice but Adam's. And this comes around six minutes, 20 seconds into the episode. And he's telling the story about how in January 2020, he and the band are in LA and they would go to the studio, he said, for like 14 hours a day. And they'd write, they'd mess around, they'd shoot hoops. And then he says the following happened. And so Dave is sitting there in a fold-up chair and says, we should work on not live here anymore. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe. Yeah, well, I guess so. I don't know why I was so hesitant. I think I just knew that it was going to be like a journey once we tapped into that song. Maybe I wasn't ready to go there, or I don't know. But we got a general BPM going. We were messing around in the room. Robbie was playing the descending part on the piano, but it was like, it had already strayed so far from the vibe of that demo that me and Robbie had done. But our friend Eric Slick from Philadelphia, who drums in the band Dr. Dog, he was with us for a couple days. And we walked in the control room and then the room mics were up. They were jacked for some reason. And he hit a drum out of nowhere. And all of a sudden I was like, we got to make the song around that drum sound. I worked on it for the next month. There was like the drums and I committed to Robbie's demo guitar and synth. My demo bass was in there. And one day it just snapped into focus. Why the little laugh there? I <laughs> I was just thinking about uh, the editing moves in there. The, the little decision to drop out the drums. There, there's a moment towards the end, um, the last clip that he, the last little bit of dialogue, the drums drop out. And he says, and then everything's, you know, snapped into focus. And one day it just snapped into focus. Okay, hold on, hold on. That, that was easy to miss. So I just want to jump in as a narrator and also a podcaster who's appreciative of what uh, what Risha Cage is talking about. Let's just run that back really quick because I want you to notice what he's talking about before he talks about it. So we hear a steady drum beat. Dish, dish. Then the drum drops out. And one day it just snapped into focus. And drums. there's just like a little trick and it happens it's both true in music and also in podcasting where if you take something away it can be as effective as getting people to focus as when you add something um and so you know you we yes. kind of built up these layers and the drums are going and then and you, you people might not even notice that the drums dropped out but then they're gone and suddenly there's just like that little change and you kind of lean in a little and then the drums come back and it just feels like a nice it feels like a musical moment but it also feels like a storytelling moment it's it's the kind of thing that i find really fun when there's a chance to do that on the show i i chalk that up to a fake metric i made up coming out of marketing everything has acronyms for metrics and a measurement and all that stuff so i'll make one up for the craft i thought uh mine is cpp which is cackles per piece that is me alone doing an edit 
And when that something snaps into place like that, you know, you take something away or it perfectly lines up without having to touch the music and the voices. I'm alone in my office like. (laughs) (laughs) So cackles per piece CPP. I I chalk that up to that. That's great. (laughs) How do you ensure that their explanation of the track and their process isn't just sort of a grocery list or moment to moment what happened in flat fashion, but you get these moments of drama, like when he said, you know, he uses the words all of a sudden, or even maybe multiple times with the introduction of the track and the way it clicks at the end. How do you tease those out so it feels much more like a gripping story of the track than just a list of what happens? I mean, I'm actually always looking for the list of what happens because, you know, you need the kind of storytelling You need the nuts and bolts of the narrative. I usually think of the show as if you could imagine a sine wave that instead of going constantly up and down, up and down, it's like it goes up and then it has a flat part uh, and then it goes down and then has a flat part and then it goes up and has a flat part where the flat parts, you know, the sort of horizontal line from from left to right is the actual story. And then those the 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 sine waves uh, up, you know, the the waves up and down are these digressions about their feelings or about their experiences or philosophy, these things that are n- the sort of non-narrative uh, beats um, in terms of then this happened, then this happened. So I am co- trying to go for the grocery list of, of what happened, but I'm al- also always asking why the next item on the gro- grocery list was there. The next item on the grocery list could be green beans. And it's like, oh, well, why green beans? Oh, because I was going to make this dish. Why are you going to make that dish? Well, actually, it was something that you, my mom used to make when I was growing up, and I had never gotten the handle. You know, suddenly all this stuff comes out, but you only get to that point by going through the next item on the grocery list. and then you, and then, But you also can't hang out there in the digression, digression for too long um, because then otherwise you lose the thread, the sort of forward movement. And so then you come back, and then Sometimes the music does that to reestablish what the what the flow of the song making process was. But I think by asking them the grocery list and then be, and saying like, and what happened, and then and then what happened, and why did that happen? I'm trying to encourage them to tell me the story in as rich detail as possible. And this is also a place where editing helps so much because this episode is maybe like 25 minutes long or something, and five minutes of that is a song. There's maybe like. 18 or 19 minutes of Adam speaking intercut with the music, but I talked to him for an hour and 45 minutes. The format of Song Exploder is also a bit of a Trojan horse. It's a means to say, hey, look, we're just talking shop about this thing you made, so give me that grocery list. Why this? And then why that? What happened next? That's pretty straightforward and very approachable. But inside that, as Rishikesh just said, there's all these digressions and personal stories and moments of reflection. Things that, according to him, artists don't readily reveal when they're simply asked those big picture or personal questions head on. Those are the types of questions that musicians tend to get during press junkets or on long form, unedited interviews. The answers aren't nearly as revealing as they are on Song Exploder. Musicians can be quite cagey about what lyrics mean or where songs came from, um, but of course they came from somewhere. And this is for me the, a little bit of the, the trickery of Song Exploder and the, the format, because I think by asking these very small scale granular questions, um, it actually allows a potentially cagey or just, you know, shy 
artist to reveal more than if you were to come at them straight forwardly and say, hey, you have this lyric and it's, what's this song about? What does this song mean? You know, uh, which could be the first question that you might ask someone when you're trying to find out what a song is about. <laughs> but I think by when you're 20 questions deep into, um, you know, this happened and this happened at this very small scale, then when they talk about writing this one line, and I can say, oh, and, and what, where did that one line come from? It's a lot easier for them to talk about it the same way they talked about, you know, why did you pick up this guitar? Or why were you in this room at the moment mm -hmm. when you started writing? I find that to be um, a, a sort of sneak attack way of <laughs> getting people to reveal, feel more comfortable about revealing something deeper about what the song is about. So I want to play our third and final clip today. This one actually starts with a voice that is not commonly heard on your show, despite it being your show. In other words, it's your voice, and that tees up a nice moment afterwards. Here's the clip. My sense of you before meeting you today was someone who's very meticulous. Yeah. Is that fair? Do you think that's right? I think there's a difference between being meticulous and being a perfectionist. I don't want anything to be perfect. You know, I want there to be rough edges. I want there to be like a weird note. Um, in fact, on the album, the real recording of this song, the last line of the first verse, there's no, I mean, if you ask me, what are the words? I don't have words. I never wanted anything that someone had to give. I don't live here anymore. I went along in will. There's no, it's like I drag it out. It's like I went along in will, but it's not, it's nothing. I was never able to like finish it. And I went back at the end when we were finishing the record. I was like, all right, let me just go punch that last line. I need to just figure out the word. I was like, it's silly that I've always just used this line that just sounds like something. I was sitting there on the headphones. It was on loop for 20 minutes, this one line. And I was just like, you know what? It's fine. It is what it is. Hearing that back, I saw you smile. What was on your mind? I'm still blown away. <laughs> That's true. That there's a line in that song that is just gibberish. <laughs> Is it unthinkable <laughs> to me? <laughs> there you go. Now I have to talk to Adam. Yeah. That's the very next episode. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. But, uh, and, and, and especially in the context of what I had been asking him about, about the kind of perfectionist that he has, you know, he has this reputation for being a, a kind of producer who is just so, so, so particular about every single detail. And, uh, and so that would have been a surprising thing for any song that I'd ever encountered to be like, oh, and then there's this one lyric that's just not a lyric, but then especially to have it come from from him. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned being particular, being meticulous, all that goes into certainly making music like this band does. Editing Song Exploder, I've heard you say, takes anywhere between 20 and 25 hours an episode for an average runtime of like 20-ish minutes, give or take. Unthinkable is less than that, but it is not an insignificant amount of time. And... Every single time, more or less, I go, why do I do this to myself? Why do you do this to yourself, Rishikesh? <laughs> <laughs> 
part of what motivated me to make the show in the beginning was as a junior person, whatever, a musician who who was sort of in the kind of middle class, not super famous by any stretch, and but somebody who had been a musician for like over a decade and put out several albums and things like that. I remember, you know, I would go to South by Southwest and you just have this terrible kind of junket when you're there. You're running from show to show and like people would do little interviews with you here and there and you just get asked the same questions it always felt so shallow and so generic you know that you really knew they're going to ask the same three questions to the next 10 bands and you know and they'd be terrible questions where there there's just no good answer how would you describe your sound that's just a nightmare for any band you know to have to answer that question or oh so your band is called this where did the name come from it's just the same kind of question over and over again so whether it was actually somebody on the smaller scale side of things or the bigger scale sort of things the kind of people i'd hear being interviewed on tv or or on the radio those marquee artists nobody was getting those questions about like well tell me what the actual work was coming up next what rishikesh found once he stepped into that void. Hey, I wanted to tell you about a brand new project before I told pretty much anybody else in my world. This is not officially launching for another few weeks, but you can get in early with a discount. The project is called The Creator Kitchen. It's a membership program helping professional communicators achieve their creative potential. Like me, I know you are a creative soul who wants to do work with soul. It's easy to feel isolated and frustrated looking around the internet, looking around the industry when that is what you care about. But maybe even though you've done this a few times, you struggle to create content that feels more like you and deeply resonates consistently. Or maybe you're just sick of all the isolation and frustration. I get it. The Creator Kitchen provides three crucial elements to mastering your craft at a higher level. Immersion, feedback, and practice. Immerse yourself in the ideas, processes, and perspectives of amazing creative people and go behind the scenes in how I make things with exclusive video tutorials found nowhere else. Get personalized feedback on your ideas and projects from me and other experienced members. And join structured, guided sessions to move you from inspiration to action more consistently and confidently. It's all designed for ambitious creators with very busy schedules. Listeners to the show can get $100 off their membership using the code UNTHINKABLE with all caps if you visit the website creatorkitchen.com or check your show notes for the link. Things get better when you make better things. If you could see a screen recording of my phone and how I interact with my podcast player every week, you would see me pick up and drop a whole bunch of interview shows all week long. I always get so excited by their promise, but it's made me pretty cynical because every time I sample them, I just come away disappointed. I think it's because I wish the same thing was present in all of these shows and I'm routinely let down. I wish the hosts would finally stop talking in big, broad terms, stop asking their guests for general advice or even their entire backstories, and just get closer to the work of these remarkable people, to ask them to dissect what they did, and then ask questions for advice and inspiration. 
I think that stuff would be more powerful. So I asked Rishikesh, what does he learn when he zooms way into the work with his guests that the big picture or big think interview doesn't give you? Well, I think that you can actually learn more about how they think. The the sort of big picture interview format always felt a little bit dissatisfying to me, especially when it came to musicians. And really when it came to musicians, I would listen to interviews done by great interviewers who I admire talking to artists. And I just felt like as a musician myself, I wasn't getting the kind of insight that I wanted. It felt a little superficial to me. And the thing that I was looking for was for someone to tell me something that I could use as a creative person, you know, some kind of like real, I don't know, nugget of wisdom that felt granular in a way that could actually help as opposed to some sort of big questions about their identity, which are of course important and and interesting too. But, um, but I think by getting somebody to zoom in, you actually learn more about those kinds of details in a practical way where you can say, Oh, having heard someone go through that kind of thought process about what their decision making was can inform your own decision making. So the structure of your episode intros repeats every time. Uh, And then you do something that seems pretty unusual. And I just want to talk about the unusual thing. So in every intro, you explain the premise of the show. You're listening to Song Exploder, where musicians take apart their songs and piece by piece tell the story of how they were made. I'm Rishikesh Hirway. You share a little bit of context about your guests. The War on Drugs is a band from Philadelphia who formed in 2005. They won the Grammy for Best Rock Album in 2018. For the audience to understand who they are and what they've done. Adam Granduciel is the singer and lead guitarist in the band. And then you play an excerpt from the song so we get a better feel for it. And after that, you're gone. (laughs) <laughs> which you're a podcaster, right? We, we, I, I expect to hear you, but then I don't. Mostly you're not present in the actual meat of the interview until you come back during the closing credits. And I can think of very few things that run counter to a podcaster's typical approach, you know, maybe even their nature as a person, then removing their voice almost entirely. So why do that? I did that for a few reasons. When I was first starting the show... I really was self-conscious about the idea of having a podcast because in 2013, when I was sort of first developing it, um, there weren't a lot of podcasts and the people who had them were either very, very, very successful radio producers, or there were a lot of sort of um, bedroom kind of producers. And I would be in that camp. But I really wanted to sound like I was in the first camp. Um, I really wanted Song Exploder to feel like it had the legitimacy and professionalism of uh, of like a top-notch show. Just to jump in here, I wanted to play for you the beginning moments of episode one of Song Exploder. This episode featured Jimmy Tamborello, who is one half of the group The Postal Service. Here is the first moment of Rishikesh Hirway hosting... Song Exploder. The Postal Service was formed by Jimmy Tamborello and Ben Gibbard in 2002. They lived in different cities and would mail recordings back and forth between Seattle and Los Angeles. 
They only made one record, Give Up, but it sold over a million copies. It's considered a landmark album for the way it combined indie rock and electronic elements. In this episode, Jimmy Tamborello breaks down the Postal Service song, The District Sleeps Alone Tonight. When I first started, I thought that I could make that show as some kind of content for a brand. I, I had this idea that it wasn't going to be this sort of personal project, but I would do something and and maybe I could pitch the idea and sell it to somebody. And But nobody wanted that. Nobody wanted podcasts in 2013 as, as branded content. So when I decided to just keep making the show, you know, just to make the show on, on my own, I still wanted it to feel that way. Wait, so why, why remove your voice? I was very self-conscious about the idea that maybe it would feel like a maybe self-indulgent or just unnecessary. Like it was contributing to the noise. And so one of the ways that I thought it could sound more professional is if I weren't in it because I wasn't a very experienced podcast listener uh, at the time. I, I There were a few that I listened to, but what I was sort of looking at for that sense of, you know, how is nonfiction storytelling kind of done most of my understanding came from documentary films. And mm. and so I thought, well, maybe I will try and model the show after a documentary film because I know I'm not Terry Gross or Mark Marin or somebody like that. I am just a guy who's never interviewed anybody before. And I wanted it to really feel like, no, this is not something arbitrary. It's really thought out. It feels like it's, it has a lot of intentionality and design, and it's carefully made. Rishikesh was not starting from zero. He'd been working for 10 years as a musician before starting the show, balancing his music and also freelance design to help pay the bills, including a contract with Apple. But he had strong feelings against injecting too much of his own perspective and experiences into his episodes. I really didn't want it to feel like I was using the podcast as a way to promote myself, to promote my personality mm. or my persona or, or something like that. I was like, no, no, because I sort of felt like, who am I? Who am I that, that I should say, hey, listen to me? I thought, no, the, the strength of this thing is the idea. You're going to hear isolated tracks from a song, a thing that you never get to hear. Plus, you're going to get to hear this sort of granular show and tell from, from these very cool artists. You can only have you know, so many things be the focal point. And so if that's going to be the focal point that I can't be the focal point. And then, yeah, because I'd never interviewed anybody and I was self-conscious about the idea of revealing my inarticulateness as an interviewer, my stumbling or anything like that. I thought, well, I can save myself some of that embarrassment by taking myself out while also serving this kind of documentary film format of, mm. you know, kind of the talking head. I didn't know the terms from radio of like, oh, a non-narrated show or anything like that. I hadn't learned that, but I knew that that there were all these films that I'd seen where, yeah, you see the camera pointed at the person. You don't see the person or even hear the person who's asking the question with rare exception. Every now and then you'll hear a director from off camera say something. And those moments were cool and special, but they were cool yeah. and special because, because that wasn't the idea. The idea was just, this is a story who's that's going to be told by the person in front of the camera. Only in this case, it was going to be the microphone. Right. You strike me as someone who has planted a flag for quality and in a dismaying sense that's not actually 
that common, especially when it comes to trying to earn a living through that quality, a belief in craft, a belief in storytelling, like words I use a lot and try to imbue into my work and care about often cause me to question it. But I just can't do it differently. I just, the comp, the idea of compromising that just makes me break out in hives. And this is a little pre preamble here, but I'm at a point in my career where, and I imagine you're getting this maybe from musicians and podcasters, where people are turning to me and saying, there's all these forces at play. Look at this popular content and it's terrible, but it's popular. Look at this boss who's asking for this. And what they're struggling to do is to reconcile their desire to plant a flag for quality and their ability to thrive financially. I just wonder how you start to make sense of that when you haven't already quote unquote made it. I think it depends a little bit on what's important to you, sort of being able to prioritize things. I remember when I was uh, recently out of college, I made a mental switch that changed nothing in my day-to-day -day life where I realized that I wanted to be a musician full-time, that that was what I wanted to do. I wasn't going to be a musician as a hobby or like on the side. And instead of being like, I'm going to live my life and I'm going to make music wherever I can around it, I was going to say, I'm going to make music my, the centerpiece of my life and I will do whatever else I have to do with my life to support it because that was the most important thing to me. And in that case, I could take all kinds of terrible graphic design jobs, freelance gigs, whatever I needed to, to be able to exist without having to compromise on the thing that was the most important to me. And I think it, there's something similar. Like if your interest is, I want to make a podcast or whatever, and this is what's successful and this is what the formula shows will work, but I'm not that excited about it. Doesn't mean you shouldn't make it. I mean, go ahead and make that if you want. But if the thing that's really important to you, the thing that you really, really love is something else, then you should make that and figure everything else out around it. I don't think you should put, put them together. I don't think you, you compromise on the thing mm. that you love in order to make some accommodations for the, for the stuff that's going to take away from it. I think you just, you, you kind of have to put them in separate, separate baskets. And maybe that, you know, again, this problem of the number of hours in a day is true for everybody. And maybe that means, you know, you can't make the thing that you love as often or whatever. And you have to treat it as a side project until, um, until you can get it off the ground. But, but for me, I would rather take the thing that matters the most to me and sort of pursue it relentlessly in the way that I want to do it rather than try and reshape it into something that might feel more marketable. I'd leave that marketability and the kind of practicality for things that matter a little less to my happiness. I've heard you say that you get a little sad when your conversations with artists are over. What are you accessing or feeling in those conversations that you miss when they're gone? I think of Song Exploder interviews as my attempt to be a kind of armchair therapist or something like that at least in terms of i want to use the opportunity to get to know somebody as deeply as possible within that very specific context for me when it goes really well i think they've revealed something very personal and intimate about themselves and i 
really appreciate that. I really appreciate having that kind of connection with somebody. And to me, I feel like, oh, if we got to that place, I mean, that's what, that's what is at the core of friendship for me is, uh, having that kind of really, really intimate honesty with another person, the kind of person you can tell secrets to and, you know, reveal things about your, your life and your mind and your brain and your experiences. So yeah, when they, when, when I feel like an interview has gone really well, I start to feel that feeling that I get from the conversations I have with the people who are closest uh, to me. It feels special. And when they walk away and that's all I got, I'm like, oh, a little glimpse of something that could have been. Like, maybe we, we could have had a million more of these conversations. Well, I look forward to never talking to you ever again. <laughs> Thank you. Deal. Thanks for listening. This episode was written and edited by me with production support from Alana Nevins. Special thanks to Rishikesh Hirwe for his creativity and generosity. If you share the show, and I hope you do, please remember to give him a shout out too. If you like the show, consider my free newsletter, Playing Favorites, which I send every other week. Every edition contains a brand new essay exploring what it takes to make work that matters more to yourself and to others. I write about craft, creativity, resonance, storytelling, and questioning conventional thinking. Subscribe free at jayaconzo.com or use the link in your show notes. And by the way, while we're talking about exclusive projects, don't forget about my membership program for ambitious creators, creatorkitchen.com. If you love the craft, if you believe in betting on the quality of your ideas and your execution, if you think this is about making better things, visit creatorkitchen.com and use the code UNTHINKABLE for $100 off. That's UNTHINKABLE in all capital letters at creatorkitchen.com. I'm back in two weeks with another episode of the show. But until then, as always, keep making what matters. See ya.